Well, it's all about wages today. Well, not just wages, but the UK has just had theirs. Australia will get its numbers today, but they will be nowhere near the wages growth in the UK. So does that mean the RBA doesn't need to be too worried? And the RBNZ set for another big rate hike today. It's Wednesday, the 17th of August, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. So another big fall in oil this morning, another 2.8% of WTI, which is down to 86.60. It did get down to 85.73. Brent is down 2.9% to 92.25. The Nasdaq has had a bit of an an adjustment. It's down 0.2% at close, but the S&P 500 is up 0.2%. The Dow is up 0.7%. And equity is also up in Europe. The DAX, for example, is also up 0.7% at close. On shares, well, the Reddit brigade, don't know if you've been following this story, but they are at it again, speculating that there would be a short squeeze on Bed Bath & Beyond shares, just like they did with GameStop. So we've seen a, a crazy increase in their share price. So far, 400% up this month. Have those Reddit followers learned nothing that they can get their fingers burned if they believe what they're told on social media? Uh, bond yields, meanwhile, are generally up. Just two basis points on 10-year treasuries at 2.81%. 10-year gilts in the UK are up 11 basis points. While yesterday, Aussie 10-year bond yields fell 14 basis points to 3.22%, but up another uh, about five basis points from that figure on futures overnight. And a very small fall in the US dollar, but it is up 0.7% on the Japanese yen. That's the uh, only real big move of the majors, although the pound is up 0.3%, the euro is up 0.1%, the Aussie dollar, well, you know, just a little move up, less than 0.1%, just above 70.2 US cents now. And it's Rodrigo Cotrill who joins us today from NAB in Sydney. So, Rodrigo, shares doing very well. The S&P 500 has now reclaimed half the fall that it saw in the first half of the year. So it fell 23%, but now it's just 10% down, uh, which, you know, given where the global economy is, doesn't seem that bad, does it? I mean, there's still, obviously, quite a lot of optimism around. Very optimistic. And and I suppose from a um, morning, Phil, morning. <laughs> from a... Uh, um, from a sort of macro perspective, uh, the, te- the, the big takeaway, if you like, from, from the overnight session coming from U.S. equities is that the U.S. consumer is still in, in root health and, mm. and Walmart is yeah. um, not only um, showed a, a good set of numbers, but it's also had a, an improvement in terms of the outlook. And similarly, um, Home Depot also posted uh, better than expected numbers and also reaffirmed the guidance uh, f- uh, for, for coming months. So yeah. it is it is kind of there's a general sense that notwithstanding the increasing inflation and and, uh, and and cost of living, that the consumer has actually been able to cope with this and, and remains pretty buoyant. And, and that is actually kind of been, uh, if you like, probably a factor as well uh, in, in the lift in, in front-end yields that we've seen in the U.S. as well. So yeah. uh, it's, it is a better than expected or resilience of the consumer that it, that is, is sort of the major takeaway coming from, from those numbers. Well, John David Rainey, he's the CFO for, uh, for Walmart, he told Yahoo Finance that, uh, well, two things. First of all, people were trading down in terms of quality and quantity, but they are still buying. Uh, so they're buying smaller packs, not a quantity of the total shop, but they're buying smaller smaller packs of stuff they're not buying in advance as much but then you know they're, they're downgrading on quality a little bit uh but he also interesting he said that about those in inventory figures that we keep on seeing as being quite high he's saying that's not volumes that's just prices that are driving those inventories up so uh so interesting stuff there i thought but look we get uh, retail sales for july don't we out later on and uh they were they were up 8.4 percent year on year last time yeah so so again that that would be um a broader measure if you like of the of the u.s consumer um and the 
they, they still, when you look at the core reading, it's still expected to be quite strong at 0.3 on a month-on-month basis. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So so that will be kind of uh, perhaps reaffirmed that the message that is coming from um, from Walmart and, and, and others. Uh, um, as you say, there's, there's an interesting dynamic here because one of the things with Walmart is, is that it's gained new clients and those new clients are like kind of the high end uh, to the high to middle income that are, are looking for sort of cheaper deals. Yeah. And, and, and whether that is sustained or again, whether that is a reflection of the whole economy is probably not not quite right. So um, the retail sales figures, which are a broader measure, uh, mm. will be important in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Look, we've not got very much movement in bonds today. Yields are still up, having said that. But the two tens still inverted at minus 41 basis points. But no big moves. Ten-year Treasury yields have got you know nowhere near back up to that 3% level uh, where they were back in mid-July. So it is fairly range-bound. So is, is this the new normal for a while, do you think? Well, I suppose when, when we think about the, the long end of the U.S. Treasury curve, uh, that's kind of a message that um, our rate strategists have been saying, you know, that they expect a bit of a range sort of trading environment. Uh, all the price action, if you like, is in the front end where the market is trying to ascertain what is what is the Fed going to do, uh, particularly mm. over coming months. Um, but it's still sort of a great de- uncertainty or more evidence is needed in order to to sort of get a better sense of, you know, where the terminal rate will be. And, yeah. and that is probably kind of playing into sort of this range trading environment and in the back end of the curve. And, it- uh, and whilst inflation still remains sort of a little bit, um, the, the big unknown, if you like, in terms of the, the medium-term outlook. Yeah, and look, the data is misleading, isn't it? All confusing. So, I mean, uh, you know, a perfect example is uh, overnight housing starts in July in the United States quite a bit below expectations, down 9.6% month on month. I mean, you can easily explain that because, hey, guess what? Interest rates are going up. But industrial production is up 0.6% month on month, which is twice what was expected, and manufacturing production up 0.7% month on month, which sort of makes you think that there was definitely something quite wrong with the Empire State Manufacturing Index yesterday, which was telling a very different story. So again, very mixed data out of the US. Very mixed data. But uh, when, when we look at the details, it's, there's an interesting dynamic. So for instance, you talk about industrial production, which beat expectations. Uh, but much of that came from the vehicle, from basically car makers in particular, mm. uh, light trucks. Um, so there's an argument there that this sort of buoyancy in, in that part of the economy is because the people are desperate for cars and, and the chips shortages um, is keeping the demand strong in, in that side of the economy. Um, but when you take the, the the vehicle construction outside, then it's a much sort of subdued uh, activity. And in fact, it's, it's pretty flat activity. So um, so the question is, well, if you think that this, uh, um, you know, demand for cars and, and increasing supply now that the chips are back, is, is not going to be longer lasting. Uh, then when you look at sort of the trend, it tells you that uh, industrial production is still likely to, to soften over, over coming quarters. Um, so that's the one point. And then you talk about the, the housing market. I, I suppose that the data yet again tells us that there's, there's a big, big downturn uh, at play. Um, and then what is important to remember is that, you know, mortgage applications tend to be a good leading indicator of sales and the decline in sales also tend to be a good leading indicator of construction activity. So the, the decline in activity that we're seeing is probably only just at the beginning of, of this downturn yeah. and, and more sort of slow than should be expected, which again uh, plays into so what, what sort of impact we should expect in terms of the consumer and, 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 and activity further down the road. 
So further to go in all of that, in other words, uh, yeah. the UK employment numbers uh, and a, a dip in the number of new jobs, just 160,000 more people employed, not much over half the number from the previous month. Uh, but more important, perhaps, what about wages numbers? So 5.1% increase in earnings, including bonus, which is down a bit from 6.4% in the May figure, but obviously both annualised figures. Uh, so, I mean, that's got to be a, a, a good sign, hasn't it? But I, want, I wonder whether it can last, because that effectively means there's been a 3% fall in real wages, uh, which, according to the Office of National Statistics in the UK, is the biggest fall since they actually started compiling this data in, in 2001. So I wonder how long people will keep on accepting uh, wages so much below the rate of inflation. Well, yeah, so, so I suppose the, the major takeaway here is that the labor market still remains pretty tight in the UK. So, um, and uh, at the same time, the, the big question mark for, for the Bank of England is at, at what level of wages growth does the bank feel comfortable? Does it look at it on an outright basis where 4.7 is still pretty, pretty solid ex bonuses? Um, but when you take into account the real defects, um, it's not that significant given how high inflation is in the UK and how, how much higher is expected to continue. So yeah. from, from the bank's perspective, I suppose the major takeaway there is that um, there's still, you know, quite a strong labor market. Uh, um, this is going to keep uh, wages growth well supported. Uh, and the question is whether they will remain patient in terms of uh, expecting that demand distraction to come through the decline in real income or whether they feel the need that they actually need to, you know, uh, increase that decline uh, in order to make sure that they bring inflation down. So. Yeah. It, it remains to be seen. And, and at the moment, what, what is important is that these expectations that the economy will slow down uh, does also imply or need a, a weaker labour market. Uh, and at the moment, we're not seeing that yet. Well, we get UK inflation numbers, of course, later on today as well. The headline number last time was 9.4%. It's, it's expected to not reach double figures this time, but not far off it. And of course, it will further down the track. I guess this is one of those numbers that there's a danger, isn't there? If it's, if it's higher than expected, then the market might react to that. Absolutely. Yeah. If it's higher than expected, then it, it probably sort of keeps it keeps the pressure on on the, on the Bank of England. Yeah. Whilst at the same time, as we mentioned, the labour market is still not showing weakness, so it will embolden the Bank of England to to remain uh, you know aggressive in in terms of its hikes. Yeah, and uh, pressure on the Bank of Canada as well. So their uh, inflation number, well, the top line figure actually fell, didn't it, from eight point one percent in June down to seven point six percent annualised, just zero point one percent month on month, which sounds good. You'd be asking, what's their secret? But the core rate isn't falling. It's actually rising, isn't it? So that suggests perhaps that front loading of hikes isn't working yet. Let's hope it does sometime. Yes. And and I think that uh, it's an interesting dynamic because I think that that is is something that uh, will play out for other economies and other central banks' decision making. You know, Mm. we we know the headline is coming. We know that, you know, the decline in energy energy prices, particularly oil prices, is playing into that, that decline from hugely elevated levels. Um, but it's still very high. Um, and when you look at the core, it's still it's still very strong and rising. So from a sort of playbook, if you like, from the from central banks, it is the core that matters. And if the core remains elevated and well supported by, say, strong labor market and so on, uh, then it, it should keep the hawkish stance in, in place. And, and indeed, the, the market is still looking for quite an aggressive hike for the, the Bank of Canada of around 66, almost 67 basis points uh, early in September. 
Right. And we're expecting 50 today, aren't we, from uh, the RBNZ, who are showing no sign of taking their foot off the pedal just yet. Yes. And again, I think that New Zealand is, again, a really interesting case because we're seeing evidence of, of the economy slowing. We expect the, the economy to slow in even further. Uh, and yet, um, given how elevated inflation is and also given how we've seen a bit of an ease in mortgage rates, for instance, um, we, we think that the bank will, will, will retain that hawkish message. So 50 basis point looks pretty nailed on in terms of market expectations. Um, and our sense is that the bank will have to continue with, with aggressive message in terms of um, you know, everybody preparing for further rate hikes and, and a terminal rate of around 4, 4% as well. Right. An aggressive message, but they deliver it so nicely, don't they? And they've got uh, a press conference immediately afterwards where they can uh, nicely suggest uh, how much higher they're going to go. Uh, so the RBA minutes, I mean, there was the, the you know an expectation that maybe we'll get a bit more out of that this time. But uh, because, of course, you know, they're, they've said they're not on a preset path. Uh, they're trying to keep the economy on, a, on an even heel, uh, a very narrow path that has heaps of uncertainty. They said all that uh, at, the, at the last meeting. All of that was in the minutes. Uh, but uh, there wasn't anything else really new in there, was there, to, to give the game away. They're, they, you know, they're, they're, they are keeping them things close to the chest because, obviously, they're waiting to see what they do next themselves. Yeah, that's right. So I suppose... What, what we did get from the minutes is that confirmation that we should expect further rate hikes or normalization of monetary policy or conditions over coming months. So that kind of sort of supports our view that, you know, a 50 basis point rate hike should be expected early in September. Um, and then, you know, a couple more before the end of the year. Uh, and what we also know there is that the RBA wants to keep an open mind of what happens afterwards. Um, I suppose that's where we're not getting the guidance and, and what happens to the economy over coming months will be important, particularly to inflation and, and wages growth as well. Right, a lot going on today, isn't it? Because we get uh, Q2 wages data as well for Australia this morning. So will they be inflationary? Well, not really so far, but the, the RBA is no doubt worried about it. We had just 2.4% year on year last time. I mean, you compare that that to the, that top line figure of 6.4% that we saw last month in the UK. That's peanuts. It is. Um, and I suppose uh, because of the way the, 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 the uh, uh, wages growth index works, um, it, it works with a bit of a lag. And at the moment, mm. the key message coming from our economists is that um, we shouldn't expect a big rise this quarter. Uh, but w- what we should be ready for is for further increases in Q3 and Q4. Um, so at the moment, uh, you know, the wage story in Australia, particularly when you compare to, to other countries, is still very subdued. Uh, but further rises should be expected. And also we've got to bear in mind that at the moment there's quite a lot of wage negotiations in, in many, many you know, sectors within the public sector. Um, and so, so that will, will come through potentially in Q3. Uh, and so that, that will be important also to, to keep an eye on. And the Japanese yen, that was the biggest mover out of the major currencies overnight. And we get some uh, some more data today. We get trade figures and machine orders. I mean, they are getting hit by energy prices, aren't they? And of course, the weaker the yen the worse it becomes. So maybe we'll see that reflected in the, in those trade numbers. It's not looking uh, like a, a, a very good future at the moment for Japan, is it? Um, well, I suppose it's a reminder of, of Japan is not as on its own here. It's, oh. it's a reminder of what other countries are also facing, uh, particularly those countries that uh, you know are highly dependent on uh, the external side of, of, or highly dependent on energy needs, uh, yeah. such as the UK and, and, and Europe as well. So um, we've seen those big trade deficits being impacted by, by that uh, increase in prices for those imports that proved to be quite inelastic in a sense. Uh, 
So what, what is interesting now is whether the question will be whether the worst or we have reached the peak in terms of how bad it's, it's been. Um, we've seen, you know, the energy prices leveling out. If you look at oil prices, gas, which is also important for Japan, is still rising. Um, but at least from, a, from an, an oil price perspective, uh, there should be a bit of an ease in terms of those pressures. Um, and now the question is, you know, whether the, the yen settles down a little bit uh, and if it, it starts even strengthening, that, that will also be helpful for coming months. But for now, the, the big question is whether we're going to see another big trade uh, deficit close to that two trillion uh, in terms of uh, uh, Japanese yen or mm. whether we will we get a surprise and it is a little bit lower. Well, we don't have to wait long to find out, do we? And uh, a little under a day before we get the FRMC minutes, but they're out just before tomorrow's podcast. So tune in and uh, if there's anything surprising in it we'll be here to tell you all about it uh, look uh, you might be interested to know joe biden has just signed off on his 750 billion dollar inflation reduction act which actually uh, aims to make uh, more in tax than it spends in in support including a 15 percent minimum tax on large corporations and a one percent tax on stock buybacks that's going to stop and that's going to dissuade the energy companies from doing the massive amounts of buybacks they've been doing on those uh, exceptional profits isn't it i think not uh, good to catch you rodrigo we'll catch you again very soon thanks thanks phil cheers and that is it that is the morning call for this wednesday morning back again tomorrow morning bright and early i'm phil dobby for now i'll see you then have a great day